Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete Wright. Oh, oh, hi. Hi, Nikki. Hi, hi Pete. This is a new little character I'm working up. Hi. Hi, I don't Nikki. like it. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? How's your weekend? How's your Kung Fu? Good? Strong? Great. Wonderful. Awesome. It's October. It's ADHD Awareness Month. Did it's you know that? It's also... Yeah, it's awareness of something else, too. I guess we'll get into that in the show. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we yeah. will. Yep. Well done. Uh, very excited. Uh, although, as we say around here, we're kind of always aware of ADHD. So welcome to the club, world. Uh, it's October, and it's ADHD Awareness Month. We've got a lot of good stuff coming on uh, this month, and we're kicking it off with one of our very, very favorite people. That is James Ochoa. He is amazing, and um, uh, he talks to us all about helping us uh, do some pattern interrupts with very strategic breathing exercises, talking all about mindfulness and resourcing ourselves, making sure we're prepared for the diagnosis we receive. He's just great, and we talk to him in just a minute. Before we dive into that conversation, however, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show there on the website or subscribe to us on the mailing list where we, uh, right there on the homepage and you'll get an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest at Take Control ADHD. But to really connect with us, join us in our Discord community. It's super easy to jump into the general community chat channel. Just visit TakeControlADHD.com slash Discord. It will whisk you over to the general invitation and login. If you're looking for a little bit more, particularly if this show has ever touched you or helped you to understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, we invite you to support the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting with a few dollars a month. You can help guarantee that we continue to grow the show, add new features, invest more heavily in our community. Patreon.com slash The ADHD Podcast to learn more. And you get access to a whole bunch of super secret Discord channels that, uh, that you don't get when you're just uh, a commun public community member. So jump in. It's super fun. And we have news. We do. We have exciting group coaching news. Oh, this is a big deal. It is a big deal. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it, you know, right now, as we are in October of 2022, you will uh, have the opportunity to look at our two new coaching groups. We are enrolling, uh, our enrollment is open now. They begin on uh, Monday, October 24th, and they're six weeks long. We have two different groups that are going on. We have one that is called Breaking Down the Overwhelm of ADHD, and it is going to be with myself and also Ian Wall who is a coach at TCA at Take Control ADHD. And uh, we are very excited to break down the overwhelm of ADHD. Like that can be so many different things. And uh, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to doing this group with Ian. And it also gives you guys a chance to meet him as well. And he's going to be on the show soon. So he's actually going to be a, 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 a podcast guest uh, to talk to us about ADHD this month. The next group that we have is the ADHD 
ADHD parents group. And this is for parents who have ADHD. It's parents who have ADHD children. It's parents who have ADHD and have ADHD children uh, or anything. <laughs> like it's a, if ADHD is in your family, then uh, this might be a good group for you to join. And I'm going to be doing this group with our other coach here at TCA, Aviva Nirenberg. And uh, we are really looking forward to getting some parents together and supporting one another because parenting is not easy. We know that it is not easy. Uh, so all the information about these groups you can find on the website at takecontroladhd.com. And uh, they're both six weeks. They're both running on Mondays, but they are two different groups. So you can check those out. If you happen to be listening to this and it's already past time, we will be continuing to offer coaching groups. So please continue to visit the site. If we don't have anything open at that time, you can put your name on a waiting list and we will get back to you as soon as we have new groups that we are promoting and launching during that time. Outstanding. Group coaching is back. It's been a long time. It has been a long very time. very excited. Yes. And we still have GPS too. Yep. Yeah. So GPS is still um, a membership. It's just, it's a closed membership right now, but we are going to be opening that up here pretty soon as well. So keep yes. your eyes out on that. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Now let's uh, see if we can go find James. Perfect. James Ochoa is a licensed professional counselor dedicated to treating, understanding, and exploring adult ADHD. He lives with ADHD himself and has long demonstrated his introspection and exploration through his work and writing. His book, Focused Forward, gifted us a whole set of new language when we talk about our relationship with ADHD, and we're thrilled he's back to check in with us today. His seventh appearance on the ADHD podcast, We Clearly Need a Hall of Fame, James... Uh. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. So welcome back. Yeah, so happy to be back. Uh, uh, Feels like old home week. Yeah. uh, Homecoming. Yeah. (laughs) It is. It is. It's a nice homecoming. It's a nice circle coming around again. And it's always amazing, particularly in today's world, how uh, it seems like it's, I think it's been a year since I've talked Mm -hmm. with y'all. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, I feel like it's a new world again. It's like the reorientation of where are we now Mm -hmm. Uh, as we climb out of COVID and all these other pieces and what it's done to the ADHD piece and the awareness month this month is just like, okay. Uh, I did think of the oxymoron. I'm not sure if I've ever seen the oxymoron of ADHD awareness month where awareness is the issue with ADHD. Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah, Yeah, we're doing doing great. (laughs) And I have to say, I think that ADHD awareness is every month in our world. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's every month, every day, every hour. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's nice that October is. Yes. I I don't even know who made October ADHD awareness month. Honestly, I'm sure it was Hallmark. Yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. We'll take it, right? Yeah, we'll take what we, we'll take what we got. Um, you know, we're here. You you brought uh, several. I think mean, we haven't talked to you in so long. You you we we have several things we wanted to talk about. But one of the things that sort of landed on our collective plates this morning is you're thinking about uh, using breathing 
uh, as a as a resource for managing emotional storms. And that's your uh, that's that's your thing. That's your jam is figuring out, you know, how to move in and out of these emotional storms fluidly. So I'm interested in your thoughts right now and how this works and how you use these breathing techniques that you're going to teach us today as a pattern interrupt to stop yeah. us from some of these cycles. Right. So let's set this up because it's a. Um, I still don't have the gold card figured out on how mm -hmm. to get rid of or completely neutralize emotional and mental distress. And I don't think we're ever going to have it. Right. It's right. on a natural yeah. spectrum. Sure. Um, so but with that pattern interruption idea, uh, the ideas of breathing I've been looking at and researching probably since 2017, a year or so after my first book came out. And I was intrigued by it because uh, as I'll, uh, and I, I will send you all the write-up I've done on this, the one-page write-up on this exercise. Um, this is the only unconscious system in the body or autonomic system in the body that we can take conscious control over for a short period of time and change and alter. You're talking about breathing. Uh, breathing. Yeah. So you could do it to your heart rate to some degree. Some people can lower their heart rate or speed it, those things. But this is really the only, and so it's a very powerful resource. And the fun, shiny part for me is it puts you right up against the door of survival, right? We got life or death involved in breathing. And so if you want something shiny, well, there's nothing more shiny than the beginning and the end. So I figured, okay, this is one way to kind of come at this. But as a pattern interruption, You've got to have some kind of a reset, recentering, you know, reorientation throughout your day. I really believe, and I'm, boy, I've become a, um, a real preacher in the mindfulness space that I'm not, I, it's not that I don't use the word meditation anymore, but meditation is a skill set to be learned uh, in a customized way over time. Mindfulness is what do I want to fill my mind with? on purpose that's interesting and meaningful to me. Well, that's a whole different equation for somebody with ADD. So breathing to me is a pattern interrupt because one, you're resourcing yourself with blood flow and oxygen supply. And the vast majority of people sub-breathe, right? They breathe right up here in their chest. Mm -hmm. They don't take that, a full diaphragm breath so in your stomach moves, where it's, mm -hmm. yeah. we don't push out that carbon dioxide, which is really the only one of the main reasons we have to actually breathe out is we have to release and get rid of that carbon dioxide, which is the burnoff, right? Of all the other stress and models in the body. So breathing to me is like, oh, well, here's a strategy I'm carrying with me all the time that doesn't go away. So to me, it's an ultimate strategy that you can use regarding kind of resourcing yourself around ADHD, but also it gives you a micro meditation you know, of slowing down to kind of see what's next, transition point, uh, you know, segment intending kind of space, as my wife, life coach would say. Intention. Mm -hmm. That's what's coming. I mean, that's what's screaming yeah. at me. When you were saying, you were talking about mindfulness and you were saying on purpose, like purpose, like mm -hmm. there's this purpose. And so you're, you're putting more intention in the mindfulness. And so when you're right. breathing, you're really paying attention to how that feels and where you're breathing. And if we're talking about, I was telling Pete before we started recording that, you know, look, I, I don't mean this in an absolute way, but I really even have challenged myself as a professional this year to say, what if I'm doing this all wrong? What am I missing here? 
which is what I ask myself. And I think any good clinician does when you want to look at whether your techniques and things are effective. It's like, what am I missing? What if I'm doing this all wrong? It's like taking that juxtaposed position. In this case, I really do believe individuals with ADHD diagnosed with this, family members, anyone living an adjacent life to it, as I talk about it now, has to be able to resource themselves to put strategies into play. Well, breathing to me is resourcing. Mindfulness is resourcing. Sleep is resourcing. Exercise is resourcing. But until we get those moving to some degree, I think that we're at risk for even the education or the strategy work to not be as robust as it could be. I mean, because everyone's really excited about strategies and they feel really good about them. But as you and I both know, uh, Nikki, for you, certainly as the coach in this space, how frustrated it is that you get maybe a 20%, 30%, 40% success return rate. Mm-hmm. And we take it as part of the issue, right? We just kind of go right into designing and keep working. But I just have been on this model of resourcing because I think if we're going to manage the emotional and mental distress of this condition that doesn't go away and comes and goes like weather patterns, which is why the storm model is there, um, breathing's a great way to back it up. So is imagination, show is intuition, all these other things I've put out and focus forward. When you talk about resource, then strategize, like this is something that I've read around your work. So your resource, you're, you're specifically talking about understanding the breathing first and, and having that pause and that mindfulness before trying to jump in and just have the, you know, the, the best planner ever <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Well, right. Because yeah. if I'm not resourced, then I'm not uh, the readiness I have for that strategy or that planning isn't going to be as significant and robust. But I just think we as professionals need to enter that realm first. Let's yeah. talk about how you center. Let's talk about how you yeah. call. And for people who are living with ADHD with three or four people in the family, I, this is no simple topic. This is a lot of what I took on in my town hall series last spring, where it's essentially this town hall series is come ask me your hardest question. I want to know the biggest problem you're having that won't go away. That's driving you nuts. And yeah, I had a woman come in, a mother come in of three or four kids, three, I think out of the four had ADD. Both the parents had different forms of it. I mean, it was a mess. And it's like, okay, you know, designing resource in that system is pretty important. Uh, yeah, because you all need to like take a moment. Well, you have to take a moment. And if you yeah. don't and you overactivate the mind, we know enough about the neurology that you go set off the uh, survival instinct and the distress and hypervigilance of the mind. It it takes hours to reset. It takes days, sometimes weeks for people to reset. And so you're really working to not set off that module. Uh, but for some of us with ADD, it's always running say at a five or six or seven out of 10 where 10 the highest, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, ah, that restlessness is always there. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a nut for that. And I really think, because I think it's just such a key element to this and it's not a, we always talked about, right? Stress is not an easy topic to talk about. No. It's not a fun topic. Well, and I, so I want to back up to the, to the breathing as a tool that we always have with us a bit, because mm-hmm. I, uh, I've struggled with this in the past and I can kind of hear somebody listening to this and saying, you know, great, uh, remember to breathe. Also, I have radically inattentive ADHD and I, 
I know sometimes I know I have the resource, like I have the mental model of the box that has the psychophysiological tools of meditation and mindfulness in it. But I'm so distracted all the time, I forget even when I need it the most, I, that doesn't get triggered. I'm curious how you integrate some of these things into your day to day. Yeah. And so you're bumping up against uh, whether it's the distraction piece or what I would call in the invisible wall mm-hmm. or the uh, the bubble that I just can't pop. I'm sitting there looking at what I need to do and I can't take action. Right. Okay? Right. You know, and so uh, certainly as a part of mindfulness, to some degree, curiosity and observation is part of it. become curious. I can't take action. There's an invisible wall in front of me. I'm inattentive and I can't remember to do this and I forget it all the time. Okay. So that curiosity and observation, as I talk about, unplugs the mind, it pulls it out of gear Mm -hmm. uh, deliberately, which is one of the things people with ADHD have a hard time doing is pulling their mind out of gear for objectivity or evaluation. Right. I could be sitting here in semi panic mode and forget that I have access to a tool like breathing, even though I'm actively doing it. Yes. Yes. But okay, just... I missed something. I, I wanted to write it down and I missed it. You talked about curious and then you said the wall in front Observation. of you. Observation. Thank you. That's yes. what I missed. Okay. And so that CO piece, that curiosity observation kind of model is, is very, it's so natural to the human condition. But for those with ADHD, I think the underactivity of the prefrontal cortex the hypervigilance that happens as a result of storms and EDS-related issues or RSD issues, whatever you want to frame them as, just set us up not to do that curiosity and observation. So that's the first thing, Pete, is one of the things is to know that you can do that. Secondly, is how do you remind yourself of that? So writing the word breathe, getting it tattooed on your hand, I don't care what it is, it's like how many ways can you trigger the possibility of it being around you is certainly a strategic measure of uh, many people have used a long, a long, you know, but do it personally. Weird paper, weird pen, whatever that grabs your attention. Even that's not going to get around all of it, right? Because you're still going to be sitting there stuck in it. And so I ask people to look at, okay, what's a very personal meaning that they could attach to the sense of breathing? Not to the sense that I've got distress of ADD but to the breathing, which is the resource. So do I call it a different word? Do I associate it with something which is more of a memory trick on how do I grab it in a personal way that's, that's meaningful to me? That's another way to put a potential workaround. Ultimately, if you can grab curiosity and observation, and I may actually have a client in session who is stuck on something. I actually have a client I'm working with right now who's stuck in a very critical life decision space. And he's been stuck for six weeks. It's a long time to be working with someone. And I have him right now sitting right in front of where that decision is and being curious and observant. Now, here's the kicker. And this is something I learned back in my coaching program in 2009 that was such a linchpin to understanding the neurology of ADD is you ask yourself open-ended questions with that curiosity and observation. So now I'm looking at that stuck point and I'm saying to myself, huh, I wonder how I could get around this in a way I haven't thought about before. I wonder who could help. I wonder what's going to grab me enough to pop me through this invisible wall or to remember to breathe. So I can see this and then I can also see the client saying, 
I've tried it. I tried that. I don't know why it's not working. I can't do it. Yeah. And I would say, okay, then let's do it together. Mm. And I put it right in front of me and I put the challenge right on me. Okay. okay. With that person. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, okay, do it with me. Get a friend to do this with. Because that resourcing of a body double or someone else is certainly something we know. But in the cases of distress, those individuals may not be getting insight. Because what you're getting in that open-ended question is insight and action to move forward from a position that you couldn't predict because the mind is an exploratory measure, not just a survival instinct. It loves to solve questions. And if you give it an open-ended question, it cannot do anything but go search for an answer. That answer is going to come from an unusual arena. And we have them because they're called epiphanies. They're called ahas. They're called, we naturally have, but this is the way to exercise that muscle. So for someone, Nikki, who says, well, gosh, I've tried that and it just doesn't work. I would go to the resourcing side and say, okay, you may be so hypervigilant. Your mind is locked. In that space of in in that space of insight, but then I would do it with. Them. I'd say, okay, let's sit in front of this and let's look at it. And I'd start asking them open-ended questions because the mind will work this way. It's mm-hmm. as simple as brainstorming as is the. It, but we don't orient to it because the survival instinct grabs it so often and just runs roughshod over us. When you talk about resourcing and strategies after you're diagnosed, this is that that survival panic state that occurs, that liminal state that occurs after I'm diagnosed and know that there are words that describe what I'm experiencing. But before I know how to exert any control or agency over that experience, is that fair? Yes. Yes. And how many people seek a diagnosis? Mm hmm. And get lost again. Yeah. For a very long time. For years. Way too many. Which is why, like, the professional training I'm doing right now, the the trail, the professional trailblazing I'm doing, I'm teaching therapists that one of the most critical aspects when you do a diagnostics or an education about ADD, it has to include this resourcing. It has to include this space that says, okay, you're a high risk for getting lost after this. How do we not get lost? How do you get a touchstone going, you know? So for me, yeah. it's always setting a follow-up, those kind of things, which are helpful, but helping people understand, okay, you're going to get this information in 24 to 48 hours from now, you might be a puddle of tears because suddenly 40 years of your life has come slamming on the door. Okay, well, yeah. let's be aware that that's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to predict it. I'm not going to say, oh, the stress always has to be the focus point and we don't have skills or gift sets, you know, or things that are good, but just we've got to have a high respect for this degree of distress and what happens to this panic piece, Pete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and that that leads to like when you talk about how you ensure, especially as clinicians, like how you ensure people are resourced. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of somebody listening who may be in that liminal space, who may be lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what what should we be looking for to set a foundation for being able to, is, is there such a, a thing as safe self-resourcing? Yes. And safe self-resourcing is going to immediately come. Obviously, I'm going to come back to curiosity, observation, breathing, yeah. those kind of things. But it's also going to come back to things that comfort you. If it's a blanket, 
if it's a stone, if it's an animal, I don't care what it is, resource in the sense of safety inside, because we certainly know if you don't feel safe inside, you're not going to learn well, you're not going to do anything well. I ask people, do you feel safe inside? Just go ask friends that. I mean, it's a question we don't, it's something we don't naturally ask. No, I mean, you have to really like, sit and think like what is this what does that mean exactly yeah or what are you conditioned to like you asked that question and my immediate answer without thinking was no no (laughs) never from moment to moment absolutely fragile right and then i go on a scale of one to ten how fragile do you feel on an ongoing basis and you go oh my god it's probably six or it's miserable it's a constant state of of anxiety and misery Yes, I do believe there's a second book in me. My writing coach and I are looking at the outline to see if there's really enough there. I think there is. But the one piece of it is be having some kind of a system that says, okay, what questions do I ask myself? Like, am I, do I feel safe? Where on a scale of 10 do I feel it on a day? Oh, gosh. If you're at six or seven out of 10 of stress, that means the battery's being drained at that level. This is not a qualified answer that says I'm going to go analyze it and see if you're right or wrong. It's subjective. Everyone feels it different inside and for different reasons, right? So I think that, yes, we all have some degree of hypervigilance. And this is how do you resource yourself and get safe? Comforting things are helpful. Animals, walks, go sit in the grass, those kind of things that are grounding that sound to some people who are too cognitively minded or too up in their heads or are too hypervigilant and too distressed will say that sounds like BS or foo-foo or is that, I'm like, well, because I, I think the intellectual side steps in very, very quickly, right? As soon as you find out, okay, ADHD, I've been diagnosed. I know what that, I know that there are words now. Picking up a cat and walking in the woods is not going to help me learn anything more about ADHD, right? Like, how do I actually learn about this thing and change my life? Right. Well, I can see yeah. kind of feel that, right? <laughs> you know, I, know I can see the strategies. Like, yeah, just go pick up your cat and go yeah. walk in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Cat, go great. walk in the It'll woods. You're going to be yeah. fine. But you can <laughs> see how, how one could hear that. Diagnostic so, James Joe is a buffoon. He says I should walk with a fluffy cat in the trees. <laughs> Oh boy. As one piece. One piece. But you know, I want to say something that I watched. I I watched on TV yesterday and it's a news program. And because October is also Breast Awareness Month or Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Whichever. You're going to have to cut that out. 100% will not be cutting that out. You're amazing. He's going to put a glow around. I know, right? I'm going to cut out everything else. That's my new ringtone. (laughs) All right. I'm going to start over. If you cut it out or not, that's up to you. You're the editor. You're the producer of this show. I do want to see uh, the outtakes. Right? right? Yeah, if anything. Uh, okay, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But this story is actually really good. And it's very, um, uh, it, it applies to what, what James is saying. So there was an interview between these three women who are all survivors of breast cancer. And uh, the the news Uh, lady that did the interview is also a survivor of breast cancer. And she asked the question, where do you guys, where is your safe place to just go and and sit and think Mm -hmm. and be at peace? And what was so interesting to me is they all had a very immediate answer. And, you know, one was Central Park, taking a walk in Central Park. The other was at the beach. Uh, And then the other person was um, 
uh, on her front, uh, her front porch, because that's where she would sit and wait for her kids to come home from school. And it was just really interesting to me that they knew immediately what she was talking about and what that meant to them. And so that's kind of how I, when I'm listening to you, that's sort of how I, I'm envisioning this is that, you know, they're dealing with a different thing. It's, you know, but it's a very serious thing as well. And that's what I see is that I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm, I'm, you know, not doing well, I can see myself wanting to go take that nature walk Mm -hmm. because that will be what calms me. Not with my cat, not taking my cat, but, (laughs) but, you know, is that, am I getting that right? Am I sensing that? You are. And it's one of many, right? You keep developing resources. So it's not the only thing you do, Right, but I do believe it's one of the first things we do. So I will ask people, what are three to five things that you feel calmed? nurtured, distracted in a way that's meaningful. Because we all think that distractions, are, you know, is a major problem. Like, no, there's a functional level of distraction. Yeah, it's, it's called being under a blanket and listening to my favorite music and letting the world go away. That's okay sometimes. We need a resource. We need to let our bodies reset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, that's, the, that's the, the key piece is just, if we're not calm inside, the strategies we build, the things we attempt are going to be half-hearted. And it doesn't mean that that's not an okay thing at times because we all have to survive. We all have to get food and bread on the table. And so I'm not, you know, some pie-in-the-sky person. I've always been very pragmatic. But, yeah, I'm going to – I don't know how many strategies I have anymore. I stop I'm, – I'm sure I have thousands. They're just – I embed my life in the space around me so that it's resourced. Do you have a particular breathing exercise that you teach your clients? I do. And I think I start with the education about kind of what breathing is and uh, how to work with it. But there's, it's really become, um, in the last three to five years, breathing's become much more of a mainstay within other places. Uh, Yoga, uh, there's a lot of, there's a breathing app now and look at it teaches you how to do different types of breathing and certainly yoga has had it for years this is nothing new we've right. just popularized it currently in the united states from a capitalization point of view mm-hmm. as people would say yeah you know yeah but it brings awareness so right. what i teach people is a five breath pressure technique that is just a five deep breaths and at the end of the fifth breath you let your air out you don't let all your air out you kind of come back to sea level uh, is it's kind of a norm. You still have some air in you, but you hold your breath in. And you hold your breath with the resource that you have felt from the blood flow and oxygen of the five breaths before. And so you have this little mini micro meditation and you hold your breath and you hold that sensation of the need to take a breath building up in your body, which is essentially the CO2 in the body building up that you're going to have to release. And then you go in to take a full breath. Okay, and you take a full breath and you hold a full breath, but you begin to tighten your stomach a little bit, which pressurizes it to push it upward. So you'll feel pressure coming up through your head when it gets up and around the top of your head, you let out your breath. This is not meant to pass out. I mean, some people (laughs) in their adolescent days, myself maybe included, uh, where you breathe fast and those kind of things to hyperventilate the body. No, this is about resourcing. So you might get a little dizziness or disorientation, 
uh, from it. And if so, then you slow down the breath on how fast you're taking it in and out. But it takes about a minute, maybe a minute and a half for the entire process. Um, I did a deeper study into this with one of the viral uh, individuals on the internet now named Wim Hof, uh, who's from Denmark, who's also a cold therapist and those kind of things that have been in freezing waters. And But there's reasons for that to resource the body. Well, they've been using that in Europe for years. I mean, again, none of this is new. We're just revisiting it. Um, so, but this breath technique, I, uh, earlier this year, I took on uh, a training with him and I was doing 30 breaths at a time holding in and out, like I'm saying. And I was doing that for six rounds. And I was holding my breath for three minutes at the end of that six rounds. Three minutes. Wow. It's crazy. So this lasted six months. It was an intense position. I was also doing some uh, 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 meditation that is, it's got binaural beats. It's got hemi-sync music. It's got, uh, um, uh, AMSR, I think it is music where the, it's like a surround sound. Of yeah. I was doing some deep work on purpose. Mm-hmm. Some of that is my shiny object chasing, and some of it is research within the ADD model to see how it works. Well, one of the things that's come out of this is this five breath technique. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so I'd like to do it with y'all if you'd like to do it. It's yes, not sure. difficult to do, yes, and I will sure. send you the link so that people have it as a resource written up. So again, You're sitting up, you're taking your breath in through your nose, out through your nose. Um, We are going to take five breaths. I'll count us and coach us through slowly. And on the fifth breath, when you let your air out, you hold your breath and you wait until you feel like you need to take a breath and you take a full breath in and you pressurize it a little bit. Now, everyone's going to have a little different model on how long they can hold their breath. So as parts of demonstration, I will hold that pressure for a shorter period of time and then tell everyone to take a full breath in just for the element of teaching mm-hmm. with what okay. we're doing here. Okay. Oh, but but right. just, just okay. for the, for, for when you're doing this alone, can you just describe the level of, well, I, I don't know, is a word discomfort that you should feel for how long you hold your breath, like before you pass out, but not. You, know. yeah. you will feel a pressure where you, uh, I say you get to a point of the feeling state of, of absolutely needing to take a breath. Okay. Okay. It's like some people might say right before they gasp, I don't go that far. I just feel the pressure. It's like, okay, I want to take a breath now. If there's no magic to this and it's very subjective with every individual okay. and okay. you can't do it wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, you, for people who do it intensely in certain ways, maybe they pass out. You know, for the people who pass out, guess what? The body does that on purpose. It's an automatic mechanism because it goes back to breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the body has a great self-care mechanism. That's not what I'm after here. I'm after a resource. But there are people who are going to question it from that point of view, certainly. Mm-hmm. So, okay. All right. So let's go through this. Here we go. We're going to sit up. We're going to take our first full breath in. Now. Two in. Out. And if you can get your stomach to push out on your breath in, that's a great way to know you're getting it to the bottom. So third breath in. Out. Four. In. 
out and five in. Now let your air out kind of to a normal level and just hold your breath. You can close your eyes gently if you'd like to, but you will feel the need build up likely in a period of say 20 to 30 seconds. For some people it could be longer, but everyone's a little different on different days, depending on your lung capacity and lots of other things. So now for the demonstration of this exercise, you could hold as long as you want, but I want everyone to go ahead and take a full breath in now and hold that breath. Now tighten your stomach and start to push it upward. And you'll feel blood flow coming up through your face, up through, and when you get something in your face and your head, then you release that breath. So go ahead and release that breath now. You could do that holding your breath to a count of 10 if you wanted, if someone wanted a marker for it. But it can cause a little dizziness or disorientation. For some, that is a wave kind of dissipating in the reorientation of the body. Curious, any feeling states or shifts or thoughts about this? I wasn't able to push my, like when you said to push your stomach and you would feel it like in your um, chest mm -hmm. or your, I wasn't able to feel that part. Right. And so over time, that'll be a practicing element for you. Mm -hmm. that you would pull your breath in and you would tighten your stomach. It's kind of tighten your abdomen, almost like a progressive muscle relaxation, like you're tightening your fist and then releasing. In this mm -hmm. case, you're just, you're tightening the body going on. Yeah. But it would mean, it's a practice element. Mm -hmm. It's a somatic kind of feeling state. Okay. I, I feel like I, uh, maybe I, I approach this maybe almost too, pragmatically but i as you were describing it i was feeling exactly what you were describing uh and one of the things i noticed particularly at the end when i'm holding my and pushing it up and i'm feeling the kind of throbbing in my head uh as soon as i i released the breath and took another breath in i realized that that physiological experience of pressure removed anything else i was thinking about like yeah. it cleared my mind, like yes. right then. The whole time yes. I'm taking the breath in, right? I'm doing the whole buildup and, uh, and I'm thinking, I wonder, I, I wonder what James would look like walking in the woods with a cat in a baby Bjorn. Uh, and then that yes. was gone until right now when I started thinking yes. about the joke again. Right. Like yeah. that was amazing. I didn't right. think it would work. And then it, it worked. I can yeah. see that doing that on a, on, like as a practice. I can see that as, yes. a, as a thing. Yeah. So, so another term I use, a word, word, how do you put functional pressure on yourself in your life? Yeah. Whether there are deadlines or somebody's coming over to help you or you're having a party and you got to clean up. In this case, the functional pressure is the breathing and the holding and the pressurizing your breath. We're functioning with the pressure, but we have pressure all the time within ADHD. Let's just put yeah. it on the choice side of the coin. Yeah. So yeah. I can feel like I know what I'm doing with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's um, really lovely and really easy. Like did not yeah. take very long. Even if you're holding no. your breath for a longer time, like taking a couple yeah. of minutes to do that exercise is yeah. really easy. Yeah. And it's very, uh, you can use this also as a micro meditation. So during that period where you're holding your breath out, uh, where you uh, on the first ending of the five, um, you can think about what you're doing next. You can rest in that kind of piece. But as you noticed, Pete, on that pressurizing piece, it's like it's a 
it's like hitting the reset button on a computer mm-hmm. to some degree. It, just, mm-hmm. it kind yeah. of pushes. Yeah. You can't think about anything else. No. Right. Right. And yeah. it does. I mean, you can almost visually see it leave you. So you were asking earlier, how do we, how do you get people to do these things? Well, some of it is the experience to the point that you realize, wow, that was a very intriguing feeling. So now it has a personal meaning attached to it, PP. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a likelihood you can come back to it because you're going to, you appreciate it. Some people mm-hmm. feel more clear in their mind. Um, I've gone to with some of my clients doing some of this breathing at the beginning of the session to kind of help them clear and get centered. And certainly uh, short mindfulness exercises, the beginning of extra, our sessions are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and here's the thing. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel like this no. is, I need to get this out of my face uh, because this is this is the thing I think that the pressure, I've done all kinds of breathing exercises, right? I do like all kinds of breathing, box breathing, I, name the breathing and I've done it. But the thing that's different about this, the thing that serves to go back to my favorite uh, term of the show as a pattern interrupt is the physiological state change that right. is introduced when my body starts to question the survival instinct just a little bit, right? And that resets all the precedent of stress (laughs) that I might be having in my life. All of that. That's why for me, I can totally see this as a pattern interrupt because when I'm in my, going into some sort of anxiety panic or something like I can, Mm -hmm. I, I can, it triggers me to remind me that in just about 30 to 45 seconds, I could remind myself what really matters. And that is that I'm safe and alive and breathing and everything else is suddenly more approachable. And what you described as pressurizing or activating the survival instinct to a small degree, that and a lot of work has been done um, uh, around the vagus nerve and relaxing the vagus nerve. And how do you do that? And that's the other, the other way to, so you're, you're startling yourself on purpose. In this case, it's a little more gentle of a startle rather than the other ways. I mean, people will talk about, I don't do anything, but I've, I haven't taken anything but cold showers for over three years. Mm-hmm. I just, it's the way I resource my body because you put it under a state of um, intensity for a short period of time and you breathe through it and it resources you. Now my body, uh, my startle response has become a lot less disruptive because my vagus nerve or the sense of being able to calm down right? It's you have a ventral nervous system where the tiger is chasing you and you have a vagus nerve system that is calming you down after the startle or the event. Many people with anxiety, stress-related conditions like ADHD don't have a good exercise of calming themselves down on the other side of the coin. Um, there's a lot of work being done on that uh, clinically. Um, uh, so cold showers for three years. I am provoked, yeah. sir. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a little bit. My wife thinks I'm still a little crazy, which I probably am. But it's. <laughs> but I can tell hey, like, the way you describe it, it is so. It's so level-headed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just. It's stimulating on purpose. I can still take warm showers if I choose to. I yeah. love taking hot baths, uh, mm-hmm. but it's become a real, real shiny pride. It, now we've termed it contrast therapy where you'll go get into a a 40 degree pool of water which is unbelievably cold uh and it's not something you do immediately but then they have like a infrared sauna in the same room and you go back and forth well they've been doing this in europe for years this is nothing yeah 
that contrast my daughter, therapy's been there forever. My daughter and I went to a spa when we were in Hawaii and they did that. They had like an area where you could go into um, the cold pool yep. and then you could go into the warm yep. pool. And she was saying you, you go back and forth between the two. Yeah. Well, if you think about ADHD in a chaotic, disorganized way, sets off that survival startle response. Mm -hmm. you're taking control of that in a way that says, no, I'm going to exercise that process so that I can calm myself down more effectively rather than it just coming out of the blue. I do think I've been able to calm down from startles or things, storms, things that come at me that I didn't expect, you know, because I'm exercising that part of my body. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's great. This is fascinating, uh, as always. As always, James and Charles, so thank you so fun. much. Yeah, it's really mm -hmm. fun. You've got a uh, you've got a bunch of stuff that you're working on. And yes. as we wrap up here, why don't you share with us uh, some of your new projects and where you want people to go to learn more about your work? Well, we've got some. Uh, yes, we've got some fun things coming up at the end of this month. We've got a town hall series. It's a six week series that I'm calling ask me your hardest questions about ADD. Where are you having the biggest problems? So it's six weeks of one hour. Uh, I will. Uh, do 10 or 15 minutes of education in six areas of ADD that I find most important or uh, critical. And then uh, I open the floor up to people asking questions. And a couple of times during that hour, I do what's called live for fives, where I will open someone's mic up who is open to that. And I will dialogue with them about their question in a strategy development or in a resourcing element so that people can see how I work, but also to actually get something and then all these are um, recorded, and you can watch them later. We are planning to do them for as long as I can foresee twice a year. I'm going to do a fall series and a spring series. It's I want to keep reaching people in a way that's affordable and resourcing, okay? And so mm -hmm. uh, to me, this is one of my models. The second one is I will jump off into the professional training world with other therapists and coaches called professional trailblazing. And so professional trailblazing in a new roadmap for treating adults with ADHD is 12 weeks of education and then a clinical consultation, education, consultation. So we back and forth uh, six times for a 12-week model. And I'm doing my first one this fall, and it's fascinating. I did it five years ago as a pilot uh, to make sure that what I was doing wasn't just centric to me uh, and other people really appreciated it. So it's everything I know about ADD uh, on steroids and uh, all the questions are there. So, um, and then we've also got uh, things coming up. I do have, I think a second book in me, uh, my writing coach and author or um, editor Robin uh, is, and I think the title of the book is already there. I think it's uh, when the shiny wears off. Mm -hmm. navigating the lifetime storms of adult ADD. It's the stuff that doesn't go away. And how do you manage it? Yeah. yeah. That's I think that's right. the, I didn't think anything else was going to be there, but all this can be seen on jamesochoa.com. Uh, and that's the easiest way to get to it. And I do have a dedicated uh, uh, website now for my book, Focused Forward. Uh, it's under focusedforwardadhd.com. And on there is this merchandise that I showed you, the stage shining, my friends. So yes. if you want a little merchandise, it's not a, I thought it was a fun thing to do uh, just to throw up there. But thank y'all so much. It's just, uh, I really appreciate y'all uh, letting me reach a bigger audience with such important information. 
Well, we, we, we sure it. appreciate you, you being Thanks here. for mm-hmm. coming back. Number seven is in the bag. It what is. are we going to do when we get to 10? We're going to definitely oh, going to need a big plan. celebration. Oh, <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> We'll have to uh, well, do it in person. Maybe we'll do it in person. There you yeah. go. Live show. I can fun. feel a live, live show, show coming. Hey, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your time and your attention. Don't forget, if you have something to contribute to this conversation, we'll be over in the Show Talk channel in the Discord server, and you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the Deluxe level. On behalf of James Ochoa and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll see you right back here next week on Taking Control the ADHD podcast. Mm-hmm.